So we're going to get started with today's program. I'd like to thank you for joining us for this special nursing grand round entitled Electronic Nicotine Delivery Systems, What You Need to Know. And I'd also like to welcome anyone who is viewing this session online. The learning outcome for today's session is at the conclusion of this learning activity, participants will be able to provide a detailed description of electronic nicotine delivery systems including what they are, how they work, associated risks, interventions, and evidence based on treatment options. For successful completion, you must attend 80% of this program to receive credit, and this educational activity carries one contact hour. Neither our speakers nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this activity, and no one refused to disclose. <laughs> For those viewing online, if you have any questions, please um, send them to me at judith.m.langhands at hitchcock.org, and I'll relay them to the speakers at the end of the presentation. Very popular topic. <laughs> Standing room only. Um, so we are recording this activity as well, so people can watch it after and still get the credit. So we're delighted to have Andrea Christian and Alexandra Fannin with us today. Both Andrea and Alexandra are tobacco treatment specialists here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. In this role, they focus on providing tobacco treatment through education and support to inpatient the inpatient population and also provide education to providers, associate providers, and the nursing staff based on the 2008 clinical practice guidelines for treating tobacco use and dependence. Hello. Um, for the sake of time, and we want to make sure that we have enough time at the end for questions, so just hold, if you have any questions, just hold them until the end. Uh, we do have a very uh, unique display that Alice um, is on her way to get, so she will be coming back. My name is Andrea Christian, and I am the tobacco treatment coordinator for MHMH. So I provide all the tobacco training for um, the inpatient population, and Alex does the outpatient. Our contact information will be at the end of on the last slide. We'll leave it up um, during the question period. So when we talk about electronic nicotine delivery systems, we refer to them as ENDS, or we refer to them as e-cigarettes. A brief, brief history of e-cigarettes. These are the beginnings. Um, in 2007, these started hitting our market. Um, they were developed in China in the three big tobacco industries, so um, uh, Lilliard, um, RJ Reynolds, and Philip Morris all bought these patent, all patented these um, electronic nicotine delivery systems. So these were called minis, cigalikes, uh, um, e-cigarettes. And then um, throughout the years, they have progressed to um, more sophisticated. So this is a pretty, um, a pretty good timeline. So we have the mini cigs, the e-cigarettes, we have a little electronic hookah pen. Second generation, we have some vape pens, Third generation, we have these big um, mod devices. Um, and then the newest, which we would consider fourth, would be the Juul. Um, we'll talk uh, really in depth about jeweling and fixing 
um, and discuss the, the um, Soren because those are the up and coming for our teen population, which is why we decided to have this um, this um, educational opportunity because the issue with ENDS is that they are the number one leading product in our youth. So um, education is really key as far as nursing goes and parents. A lot of us are um, parents to um, kids in that adolescent um, age group. So when we talk about electronic nicotine delivery systems, all electronic nicotine delivery systems are battery operated. So this is a model of a vape pen, but they all have the same. They all operate with a battery. They all have a switch that activates the battery. They all have a microprocessor and a heating element and a cartridge or a tank that holds the e-juice. The pod system, so the jewels, the fixes, um, they don't have, um, like you keep, they're not, you don't refill them with the, um, like the e-juice. So you hit, you turn it on, you hit the button, it sends a signal from the battery to heat the liquid. The heat um, creates an aerosol, which is what is inhaled through the mouthpiece. Um, vaping is the verb that's used with um, electronic nicotine delivery systems, and it is in fact not a vapor, which is where the education piece comes in. Because the kids or the you know the people who are using these will tell you that they're just smoking like water vapor, it's harmless, but in actuality it is an aerosol. So it does contain fine particulate, and that um, particulate contains all kinds of chemicals. So these um, this is a list of chemicals that are typically found in tobacco smoke. So well, tobacco and tobacco smoke, secondhand smoke, contain a lot of these. Um, chemicals. So these are the chemicals that are found in the, um, the aerosol of e-cigarettes. So pretty much the same list. And then these are the ones that the FDA has deemed um, harmful. So these are like nitrosamines. So these are carcinogenic. Nicotine is not carcinogenic. However, um, carries a host of other um, symptoms as far as vascular disease, cardiac, uh, coronary artery disease, COPD. A lot of these chemicals can also be found in everyday household things that you might not um, associate with. So propylene glycol is found in antifreeze, acetone and nail polish remover, um, ethylbenzene and paints and pesticides, formaldehyde and bombing fluid, uh, rubidium can be found in fireworks, and all of those are in the um, aerosol of, or have been found in the aerosol of e-cigarettes, and of course, the nicotine. So why are we concerned with ENDS? This is, um, these are some advertisements that, um, that the tobacco industry uses to to promote its product, they spend, they spend about 81.1 or 88.1 million dollars a year just in marketing. Um, so these ads, when we think about advertising and how they affect um, people to use their products, they're all using um, young, attractive um, people, and they are found to be so our young population kind of um, kind of. Um, 
I don't want to say float to, but they're attractive to our younger people. So look cool. Um, a lot of these um, advertisements will reflect on previous ad advertisements used in the tobacco industry. Like if you like the blue, reminds you of like the Marlboro Man with the Marlboro cigarettes, and then. Joe Camel, Joe Cool, was a cartoon character for the Camel campaign and taking on kind of the better um, description. So another marketing ploy that the tobacco industry has been using to um, make them more addictive for the younger population are all of these fruit flavors. Um, <coughs> using them as an attractant. So you have everything, you have cartoon characters, you have um, ones that depict um, certain like alcohol containers, all these different flavors, Red Bull. Um, now kids, or well anybody actually who does vape, hemp, uh, THC, um, CBD oil is a, is a big one that's coming, um, or hitting the market that's available. Um, food flavors, candy flavors, um, different colors. So all of these are um, used to attract um, the younger population. And they need to because um, they need to replace their, they need to, they don't, as people die and they need to replace that, um, that market and this is how they're doing it. So these, when you look at these vape devices, these vape devices the argument is that they're clearly um, attracting like a younger population. So we have Hello Kitty, we have jewels, um, you know, glittery type things. We have these um, superheroes, your favorite sports team, that's a Seattle Seahawks, um, Star Wars. So um, all of them, there's thousands and thousands of um, uh, products available. So this, you know, these right here, are completely targeting our youth population. And then we have the jewel. So the statistics, the CDC just um, just released statistics for 2016 that said two million of our um, adolescent population or our youth population are current um, or within the past 30 day um, electronic nicotine delivery system users or they have used in the last 30 days. Of those 2 million, 11% or 11.3% are high school students, so a ninth to 12th grade. And then 4.3% are middle school users. So, um, and that would be like sixth to eighth grade population. So the Juul is becoming more and more popular because um, it's small and we do, we will show you, we do have them, so we'll be able to share them with you in a little bit. Um, they look like USB ports. Um, which is how kids are able to use them in the classroom. They're nicotine salts, so you don't have the big cloud paper with them. Um, a jewel pod, so one jewel pod, this is a pod, um, contains 59 milligrams of nicotine, which is equivalent to one pack of, one pack, one pack of cigarettes, and it's usually good for about 200 hits. So um, the rate at which, or however, um, so if they were going through one Juul pod a day, it would be the same as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So Juul has been in the news recently. Um, the FDA 
uh, electronic nicotine delivery systems are not regulated by the FDA, except for the age in which you can buy, which is 18. Recently, though, the FDA has come down hard on Juul for marketing to the adolescent teenage population. And I think in April, the FDA told the Juul, you need to change your marketing strategy because it's clearly it's so obvious that you are um, trying to attract the younger population. Juul says no. And then recently, the beginning of October, the FDA raided the Juul Laboratory, PAX Labs, the laboratory that makes the Juul, um, and confiscated um, all of their marketing material. So that is the most recent thing about the Juul um, in the news, so we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But all of their advertisements are, um, they're young, they're fresh, bright colors, um, dancing, laughing, very social type advertisements. So the jewel I touched briefly on is nicotine. It, this is a nicotine salt, whereas when we talk about the mod devices, it uses a free-based nicotine. The difference being the salt-based nicotines um, typically are pod systems, so they're typically non-refillable. The free-based nicotine are those e-liquids, the juices that you fill the mod tanks with. Um, the nicotine salts has a has a um, additive uh, called benzoic acid, and what the benzoic acid does is it allows the um, the nicotine salt to be activated at a much lower temperature. The free-based nicotine is carried through propylenoglycol, which was also that chemical that was found in antifreeze, or vegetable glycerin. And that um, means that it burns at a higher, at a higher, um, at a higher temperature. So the salt-based nicotine, people who vape, um, it's a little bit different of experience than smoking traditional cigarettes. So it's really judged on the throat hit. So the free-based nicotines, the throat, the um, throat hit or the harshness on the throat is not as intense as, um, or the jewel is not as intense as the free-based nicotine because the jewel is done at a lower wattage. Um, the free-based nicotine, that is a sub-ohm or a mod device. You can set the wattage. So you can go up to like 220 watts or you can stay down at like a 50 watt but you don't get that punch that you would get from smoking uh, or from vaping a Juul. The Juuls, um, not, not as many flavors are available with the Juul as with the free-based nicotine, and you're not going to get that big, huge cloud smoke like you get with, uh, or the cloud aerosol that you would get with the free-based nicotine. So when you see people um, vaping, and you can see it like when they're parked in their cars and you can see these big puffs of white smoke coming out from the window when they're stopped at the stop sign, they're using a mod device. Because of the low wattage in the Juul, it's easier for kids to use the school because it's undetected, it doesn't have that big cloud. All right, these are the Sorens. So the Sorens is another uh, nicotine salt, um, salt device. So kind of like the Juul, it has a wide variety of um, shapes and um, sizes. This is a Soren Share. So there's two mod devices, there's two vape devices in there. 
um, that you you would have one, and then of course you would share it. Minimal um, cloud smoke, and you can't accept you can't um, adjust the wattage in these ones. They're not mod devices. So this is the up and coming. This is called the iCoast. This is not um, FDA approved, and it is not available in the USA. It is developed by Philip Morris International, which um, is now being marketed in Canada and China. I quit ordinary smoking. So what this device is, um, it is considered electronic because it is battery operated. However, it does not have a vape liquid. And this is actual an actual tobacco product. And what they're saying is, so it, it it's not combustible. It's just like a slow burn. So it heats. It's a heat not burn method. Um, and it produces an aerosol. And this is what it looks like. So um, it looks just like a little cigarette. Um, those are the flavors that are available. You can get them all different colors. Um, advertising, that's an advertisement for an iCoast in France. Um, we don't know really anything about them. The FDA, they did um, submit um, a request for the FDA to accept them. FDA denied it. So they resubmitted recently as a moderate risk um, device, and we'll see what the FDA says about that. I we really don't think that um, it will come back, that it will come into the United States. So the risks that are associated with hens, um, you want to talk about these? Yeah, okay. So this is Alex. She is our nurse practitioner in the thoracic clinic, and she's also um, a um, tobacco treatment specialist. Yeah, so I work uh, so most 50% of thoracic, and then 50% of my time uh, does uh, basically tobacco counseling for people interested in quitting smoking, e-cigarettes, chew, things like that. So um, I'll talk a little bit about the risks that are associated with electronic nicotine um, delivery systems. So most e-cigarettes contain, nic contain nicotine. Um, even the liquids that are considered to be non-nicotine do have <coughs> just trace amounts of nicotine in them. So I mean, if somebody says, but I'm smoking or I'm vaping the no-nicotine kind, unfortunately, there is nicotine found in the no-nicotine kind. So as we know, nicotine is highly addictive. Um, and again, like I said, some is considered to have 0%, but still contain even 0.01% nicotine. Um, toxic to developing fetuses can lead to low birth weight, slow birth, premature labor, um, and even can affect children on into, you know, the kind of as they progress with being, after being born, so increased risk of sudden infant death syndrome, um, things like that. Um, also harmful to young kids who are using cigarettes. So nicotine is um, a, kind of an activating substance. It increases your norepinephrine level um, and increases your dopamine level. So kind of that joy and focus that people get from uh, using cigarettes um, has kind of deleterious effects on the developing brain, kind of having those increased levels. You know, it affects um, you know, judgment skills. It affects uh, how well they can make decisions, how well they can focus. And in fact, it continues on into their adult years. Um, also, the, uh, like we kind of previously talked about, nicotine and e-cigarette e aerosol contains um, substances that are carcinogenic. Um, 
similar to what is found in the cigarettes. You don't get the tar that you have in the cigarettes, but you still have a lot of the cleaning agents and chemicals that they used to, uh, that they put in the tobacco, which um, have been found to be cancer-causing. And then um, there are nicotine, the e-cigarette liquids that uh, have a chemical called diacetyl, um, which causes what's called popcorn lung, which is basically uh, the alveoli open to, to the point where they're larger, and so you have these little pockets, essentially, that here kind of explains it better than what I'm doing. But basically, you get this area where, you know, you have dense lung tissue, and there's a lot of areas for um, carbon, carbon dioxide and oxygen transfer. Um, here, you have much less surface area, leading to people who have a harder time breathing, things like that. Um, and then, studies show from aerosol, Studies show that the ends, the aerosol from the ends, also has formaldehyde, heavy metals, um, and again, chemicals that cause cancer. Um, with the aerosol, it's, it's different from cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke is a little bit of a um, larger particle. Um, when you heat and burn and aerosolize uh, a substance, it creates much smaller chemicals, and so that makes it much easier for people to inhale more deeply into their lungs, so you get more uh, distal damage when you use aerosols. Um, there's also a risk of unintended injuries. So there is a risk of the batteries exploding. Um, you don't even have to be using it. People said that they just had it in their pocket and it's exploded. Um, there's been uh, a couple different stories on like UBC and NBC that had, um, you know, showed videos of one guy was just stocking shelves at a store and it exploded in his pocket. And it was literally this bright light. It took over the whole screen. And you saw this giant hole in his pants, like pretty, uh, not just a small, a small explosion. You know, and then when people are using it as well, when they actually uh, activate the battery, which is the part that explodes, um, you know, burns their hands, burns their mouth when they're using it. So um, definitely uh, a burn risk with and then there's also um, acute nicotine exposure, um, which can be toxic to um, children and adults. Um, so the average ingestion, um, just to cause mild GI symptoms, sorry, tongue um, for a child is about 0.8 milligrams per kilogram. Um, for acute ingestion to be considered toxic uh, for a child, it's 1.4 to 1.9 milligrams per kilogram. Um, so they really, you know, for a little kid, one of those bottles of e-juice, if they got a hold of it and thought it was something, you know, candy, they thought it was something cool to drink, like a soda or something, they, it would uh, potentially be lethal for the child. So, again, important for keeping it away from the kids. Um, they can also be poisoned just by having it on their skin. They don't necessarily have to drink it. They can have, uh, you know, it absorbs, it can absorb through their skin, so having just even a little bit. Can be dangerous. Again, we kind of talked about the average ingestion. So, um, for one of the little bottles has what 20 milliliters in it? 20. I think it's 20. So yeah. So one of the little bottles of e-juice that gets refilled has about 20 milliliters in it. Um, the concentrations for each of the nicotine, kind of like I said, some of them say that they're zero. They're not actually zero, but then they're six, 12, 18, and 24. It's small child got a hold of a 20 milliliter bottle of the 24, like 100, 480 uh, milligrams of nicotine. 
So again, you said that 1.4 milligrams per kilogram would be legal for a child. So definitely dangerous. Um, Um, again, kind of talking about that, a lethal dose of nicotine has been estimated to be less than 40 milligrams for adults, so that 480 would certainly be dangerous, um, and one milligram per kilogram for a kid. This was, a, um, this was an article, so in the United States, we've only had one documented death of a child from the ingestion, and that was in 2014. So this happened in 2015, and I put the link up there to the web, to the article because it's a very, very graphic article of what this 15-month-old went through. And she had ingested five mLs of a 50-milligram um, bottle. They ended up uh, performing CPR on her for 40 minutes, and then she actually died. Did I put it there in the note? She actually died from pneumocephalus and uh, cerebral edema. Um, and she had five mLs, very, very small, and, um, and she died from it. She had 44 days after ingestion, and she never regained consciousness. So it was a really good article, which is why I put that up there. It was very graphic about the efforts that they put forth to revive her, and she just didn't make it. Now that was in Korea. So that's the only other case that I could find um, of a child dying from nicotine exposure. And some people do use it to try to kill themselves. Like it can be used as a form of suicide. However, um, what you end up going through is trying, as a result, is a lot of nausea, vomiting, um, seizures, things like that. So it's not uh, widely used, but um, it's not incidences of that. Um, so, kind of talking about methods for cessation, we have. Uh, E-cigarettes have nicotine, and again, kind of mimic that same action of smoking. They, the, you smoke it a little bit differently just based on kind of the vapor, and it takes harder. it's harder for you to get the same level of um, arterial nicotine in your system from an e-cigarette than it is from a regular cigarette. Um, but studies have shown in people who are trying to quit smoking that behavioral modification and use of nicotine replacement therapy or some other form of FDA-approved um, medications such as Chantix or the Renaclean is the, the uh, generic name or Wellbutrin, Zyban, um, have been shown to be helpful in helping people not only quit smoking but also quit kind of the addiction of nicotine from e-cigarettes. Um, as we kind of talked about already, um, Andrea works inpatient um, and sometimes seeing outpatient people as well. But uh, in helping people who are here in the hospital figure out kind of a game plan for what they're going to do when they go home. And then um, there is the consult for tobacco cessation, which um, I run the outpatient clinic. So again, kind of doing one-on-one -on -one counseling with patients, figuring out um, what they've tried in the past, what hasn't worked for them, what might work for them in the future, and then kind of following up to make, not to make sure, but you know, just to check and see and be as supportive as we can be. And again, kind of using those behavioral modification um, techniques a lot of kind of motivational interviewing to um, create a, you know, something that's reasonable for them. You know, not everybody can just say, you know, I'm done, I'm quitting cold turkey. Um, sometimes that's a little bit overwhelming, and so just kind of chipping away slowly at, you know, this is a really tough time for me, and this is what else I can do differently during that time so that, you know, I don't find myself having any favor. Um, there's also the quit line. So Vermont, New Hampshire, really every state has a quit line. 1-800-QUIT-NOW. And uh, certain st different states offer different um, modalities. 
such as, you know, gum, lozenges, coaches, um, and counseling. All of them offer counseling phone sessions that they, um, again, kind of talk about what works for them, what hasn't worked for them, and uh, kind of follow up to see how they're doing. Um, and then, so we have uh, kind of Vermont and a New Hampshire population, so the Vermont quit line. Um, 802 quits is the website for the Vermont quit line. And then um, QuitWorks NH is the New Hampshire uh, website for their quit line. And so this kind of completes our um, presentation, which is kind of some contact information for people interested in uh, contacting for inpatient or outpatient or just any questions. So now that's kind of the end, do you have anything else to add? No. Okay. So um, I wanted to, we left enough, um, quite a bit of time, I wanted to, so that's perfect, to yeah, open the floor because um, it is such an interesting comment and people always want to ask questions and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I did this before. It's a full Fifteen twenty minutes of this question, so we didn't really anticipate. So, so we did have a display, so everyone is more than welcome to come up and kind of touch and play and feel. So um, we have first through fourth generations. We have, <coughs> school, we have one, a few of the Sorens, um, some of the mods, which are the bigger ones that actually have like, the battery pack and that they can be refilled, um, and then some of the first generations also that look similar to these cigarettes. But so while she's getting that out, um, are there any questions that people have? Cigarettes regarding backup. Yes, ma'am. Um, are the devices the same for marijuana, or is that like a, just a completely different topic? Because my patients are asking about both. So the, the question was, um, are the devices for using e-cigarettes the same as um, vaping marijuana? And yeah, you can vape marijuana from the usually the refillable ones. Um, so the same end. issues with the chemicals, the mm -hmm. right. So the difference is just you know, the nicotine. The difference is essentially you know, the substance that they're using, nicotine versus marijuana, or THC or CBD. Other questions? So, um, so we have a lot of patients who are quitting with this method. If someone comes in, are you is, are we totally discouraging use of these? That's my first question. And have you had? Has anyone had success that you've seen in the in the zero percent nicotine, at least kicking that the addiction to nicotine and then coming off the you know the vape and the chemicals? Um, I would say no. A lot of times, you know, when people try to use e-cigarettes as a method for quitting smoking, a lot of times they'll more often just become dual users again because you don't get that same. It essentially you have um, your your arterial levels of nicotine don't get as high as preferred with the e-cigarettes as they do with regular cigarettes, and so um, oftentimes people will become dual smokers, and that's really you know, the majority of people. I think there's maybe a very small percentage, I'm going to say less than five percent, that has actually found using e-cigarettes to be successful helping them quit smoking. So you know, it is marketed as a cessation device, but you know, in reality, we don't really have a long-term data that we do from cigarettes to say, yes, they're okay to use, no, they're not okay to use, you know, this are, these are the long-term repercussions of using e-cigarettes. And so um, we can't say one way or the other whether they're bad, worse, or better. 
Um, there are some people that say that they're a little bit better because you're not getting the tar and you know, the same number of chemicals that you get from cigarette smoke. However, again, 95% of people often become new users or they continue to use just the, they continue to smoke the e-cigarette and um, no, never actually, you know, take their name. Can I ask a question regarding more about smoking cessation and not so much the e-cigarettes? Sure. Um, you know, for some people, I'm thinking of a specific person in general, sometimes just having the lit cigarette and the burning cigarette or holding the lit cigarette for them is, they're not always just smoking it. I think it's like more of a psychological uh, connection. And they're trying to quit, or how is that in relation you know, do you see those people trying to quit, trying to use these because then they can still hold them, um, or not so much? When you talk to people about yeah. it, they think that it's safer mm -hmm. um, because they're not smoking tobacco, mm -hmm. and they're marketed as vaping, as like a water vapor. Like, you don't get the tar, like Alex said. You don't get... Um, um, the same amount of carbon monoxide in your system so people feel that they're safer. A lot of providers would recommend it being a safer alternative and the American Cancer Society actually on their website says that we can't tell you that it's better, we can't tell you that it's worse, but it's probably a safer of the option, of the options that are available. So the best thing to do, like that person who, um, who lights a cigarette and just leaves it in the ashtray and just needs to have like that like that support. They're still getting all of those chemicals because there is the second hand, and then there's also the third hand smoke that they're exposing themselves to, along with everybody else that um, that are around them. So, what do you do for those people? Nicotine replacement therapy, behavior modification. Changing habits. So instead of you know sitting at the table, lighting up a cigarette, putting it in the ashtray, mm -hmm. like not sitting at the table. You, you know you gotta. Um, and the change mess up your routine a little yeah, bit. And it's really just kind of about changing your routine and finding you know other things. You know, a lot of people say that you know right after dinner is when they really want to have cigarettes. You know, finding other things to do instead of just you know sitting, you know, smoking a cigarette after dinner, kind of being proactive and say, all right, time to get up and do the dishes. Clean you know, up a little bit faster. Um, for the people that just have need to hold the lit cigarette, you know, maybe it's finding something else that they can. Recommendations on what we can say to our patients who may be even before pre-contemplation, you know, that they were sitting down to talk with them and having that interaction and find out that they're smokers and, you know, if they say, you know, are you interested in meeting with Alex or are you interested in talking about quitting and they say no, do you have kind of our next line other than, okay, good talk? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the hallmark <coughs> statement is, um, you know, quitting smoking is the most important thing that you can do right now in the future. Um, 
we have these services that are available to you. And if they say no, you can always say, well, are you familiar with your quit line? Let me give you this information so that when you are ready to make the decision to quit, you have an option and you don't have to go it alone. Um, you can even imply some motivation or apply some motivational interviewing um, about, well, you know, what would have to happen for you to, you know, speak with them today? Or what would have to happen um, for you to make the decision to quit today? Today is Great American Smokeout, which is why Alex and I have a table. So one day a year, the American Cancer Society um, puts on this event for, um, to encourage people to quit smoking just for this one day. You can do it for just this one day. So we have a table out there with all kinds of goodies that when we educate our patients to quit smoking, you know, we use, you know, the 4D model. We use um, straws cut to the size of cigarettes. We use cinnamon sticks. We use hard candies. We use the stress balls. We have an arsenal of tools that we can use to help you. So we have those available at the table. Making those available, you know, when you're talking, you know, giving those tips tricks or whatnot to your patients, you know, is, is another way to keep them informed. Um, you know, even just asking them, you know, like what they like about smoking, and then kind of using the second question, you know, what don't you like about smoking, and just kind of, you know, making it more of a conversation, not so much of a, you know, you need to be smoking, right, type thing, and just kind of, you know, not necessarily being the one to help them quit smoking, but at least planting that seed, you know, the more people are, you know, Encouraged to quit smoking, the more likely they are to actually do so. And then there's also we have um, green uh, green folders, but it's basically just a packet of information that we have. Has a lot of like tips and tricks and myths about quitting smoking. Um, has a lot of um, contact information for local resources. Um, has like Andrew talked about the four D's model, so you know deep breathing as a way to uh, kind of avoid going and smoking a cigarette, um, deep, so deep breathing, drinking glass of water, delaying so if they can push off when they're having their next cigarette, they're more likely to be able to do so, kind of practicing that, um, and then just doing something else, so going out for a walk or finding something in their house that they can clean or something like that. So that those are available literally to everyone. They're in all the inpatient units. Um, you can get them from the print shop if anybody's interested in ordering them for their clinic. But you know, if you don't have somebody who's completely interested at the moment, at least saying like, I know you're not interested in, in it now, but you know, if you go home and change your mind or you do want more information, you can at least send them home with that folder so that way they have some contact information for who could be helpful for them in the future. Thank you. Sure. We often use financial motivation. Are these comparable in cost? You guys. Like e-cigarettes? Yeah. E-cigarettes are cheaper, I believe. Like, up front, they're more expensive because a lot of times you have to buy like a battery pack. So like, I want to say they're like, some of them are a couple hundred dollars. So the like Juul, the Juul, like 65. yeah, so the starter pack, like the Jewel is like 60 bucks. So you get the Jewel, you get four pods, and you get your charger. And then you can buy just the replacement pods, like a four pack for $20. So it would be four packs of cigarettes for 20 bucks, which is a five bucks pack. And the e-juice, like I was just in a convenience store the other day, and their e-juice, there's like a big bin on sale too for $5. You know, so if you had a mod device or a sub ohm device, then um, that would be relatively cheaper too. Either way, not using it at all is cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> healthiest. And healthiest. Wow. 
I always market that as a plus. When you talk about the things that, like the fires, the explosions, uh -huh. like how does that compare to other electric, like battery operated devices? So is it that there's something specific about these devices that makes them more likely to explode or catch fire? Or is it the fact that it has a battery in it and anything with a battery in that style? These are the kinds of things that the patients will ask. It's like, are you just trying to scare me and telling me this? Or in fact, like the five other electronic devices that I carry around with me all the time are equally as at risk. Right. So the question was Because you lose that. credibility if you start pushing right. too much on one thing when they're like, but I have all these other right. Correct. So the question was um, kind of what uh, the, the batteries and you know whether kind of how the batteries from the e-cigarettes relate to other battery operated devices. So, just a reminder that to the population that these are not FDA evaluated um, devices. So there's no safety checks. There's no. There's no. There's no guidelines for these devices. And the majority, when the majority of the devices of the like nicotine salt devices, so the Sorin, the Juul, they're developed in laboratories where they're not held accountable by the FDA. So there's no testing on them. So. The best educated guess would be we don't know why these explode and why your cell phone doesn't explode, except that they're just not regulated by the FDA. There can be anything in those economizers, um, and there can be anything in the heating element. We just don't know. And again, I would say you know we don't kind of use the fact that they explode as a as a huge. I can't say that I've ever really told anybody that it explodes in their face. So kind of you know. I don't really use that as like a scare tactic to say, you know, oh, these explode, don't use them. It's more, you know, kind of more the, the A, kind of the we don't really know the long-term damage. Um, B, you know, you're better off just not using this at all and kind of going through more of the, the dangers of, you know, what you're doing to your lungs versus the fact that they can explode in your hand. If somebody asked, you know, then you could give them that information. But. 